This is D23 Inside Disney. We are going to take you through some of the best Disney stories of the week, get you an inside look at the people behind the magic of Disney. I'm Candace from Radio Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And I'm Jeffrey from D23. And we're the hosts that will take you inside Disney. So I guess we should start by saying uh, shout out to Sherry. She's not Aww. in this show this week. She's here in spirit. She always is. How are you? I'm good. It's been uh, a busy Disney-filled week. And you? Yes, a good Disney week. I actually just met Gina Rodriguez and Tess Romero from Diary of a Future President, Ooh. which is streaming this week on Disney+. Plus. They're so excited about this show. Did you interview them for Radio Disney? I did, yeah. Nice. Yes, so there you go. That's cool. I was at Disneyland last weekend. We of did. Of course, a, you were. Well, there was a team outing. Everyone's like, "Oh, did you win?" No, I did not win. I'm a okay. giant Disney geek. Our team came in fourth. Aladdin's Oasis. Shout out to Josie and Liz and the rest of the team. But I think that the biggest Disney moment I did have this week was watching the finale of High School Musical: The Musical: The Series. So good. They wrapped so it up good. perfectly. I thought they did. Yeah, they did. Now I wish I, I had some secrets about season two, but uh, do you? I. Nope. Nope, not at all. I don't believe that. But we should talk about some Disney news. (laughs) We should. So, of course, the Oscar nominations came out this week. Yes. 23 nominations for Disney in 15 categories. Amazing. So good. So, I'll just give you a recap of some of the big ones. Fox, Searchlight Pictures, Jojo Rabbit's got six nominations, including Best Picture. That is a funny movie. Yeah, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Scarlett Johansson. Um, My favorite movie of the year, 20th Century Fox's Ford versus Ferrari. That was nominated in four categories, including Best Picture. You called it you said that was going to happen right and i'm not even like the movie person here but very cool star wars the rise of skywalker got three nominations pixar's toy story 4 it was nominated of course best animated feature film and so many others but the oscars they're gonna be happening live on abc sunday february 9th i'll be tuning in i am a big oscar party person oh yeah just popcorn are you gonna work the like, red carpet uh i don't think so uh, you'd be so good uh, well thanks let's well we still have time so right. we can make it happen before february i cannot wait to hear them do Into the Unknown on uh, the show. I love that song so much. So it, it's nominated. I've got my fingers and toes crossed for it. Yes. Yeah, speaking of that, there is a Frozen 2 sing-along, which is in select theaters yes, Friday. Yes. I feel like you've already bought tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time I've seen it, it's already been a Frozen 2 sing-along for yeah. me. This time, people may actually not be as annoyed. <laughs> there you go. This is only in theaters for a limited time, just a heads up. So tickets are on sale now at Fandango. And also this Friday... A whole bunch of new things debuting at Epcot. I'm going to be there next weekend. I cannot wait. You know me. I just can't get enough Disney. True. So on January 17th, there's three new movies debuting. Awesome Planet, which is going to be at the Land Pavilion. Canada Far and Wide and Circle Vision 360 with Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy hosting. I'm so excited. (laughs) And the Beauty and the Beast sing-along featuring Angela Lansbury, done by legendary producer Don Hahn, who actually worked with... Our guest today, our guest Dan Silver, oh. Disney Plus, is going to be on just to give him a little plug in advance, but he worked with Don Hahn on the Howard Ashman documentary. Okay. Plus, Epcot International Festival of the Arts kicks off with, of course, food. I'm sorry Sherry's not here. We can talk a lot more about food. <laughs> She's probably somewhere food. eating right now. Mickey and, Pretzel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Broadway performers. So I'm excited because I'm going to get to see my pal Heidi Blicken's staff, Gavin Lee. I'm going to see, I think, Kyle Massey, Kara Lindsay. Can't wait. I'm going to fit as much Broadway into my few days there as possible. (laughs) Now, on the complete opposite side of the world, our friends at Shanghai Disney Resort are kicking off Year of the Mouse with Mickey and Minnie as part of their spring festival. So along with Mickey and Minnie, 
Donald, Daisy, Goofy, Pluto, Chippendale, and Goofy are all going to have new spring festival outfits for the occasion. Mickey's going to be narrating a nighttime spectacular called Spring Festival 2020 Firework Celebration Our Families, which will include castle projections. And the castle projection, that castle is That's my favorite. So beautiful. So beautiful. And of course, amazing food. There's this Spring Festival banquet that includes all sorts of activities for kids as well. And again, too bad Sherry's not here because along with food, there's going to be adorable collectibles that I'm sure she would want to add to her collection. So a lot of really cool stuff if you're heading over to Shanghai. Plus, a D23.com has a very cool gallery of all of the things coming, so you can check it out there. Very nice. All right, Disney California Adventure Food and Wine Festival is coming soon. And there's some cool updates we should talk about. So it's kicking off February 28th. It'll go all the way through April 21st. So, of mm. course, food, beverages, cooking demos. Where is Sherry? So much food today and I no know, sherry oh. I know. seminars plenty of music of course and what's new this year is disney chefs are actually going to share their personal stories through the magic of storytelling so that's very cool of course marketplaces will be back locally brewed craft beers are back wine and spirits from all over california which is very exciting and a couple of interactive culinary events so there's one called family time which is going to be at the backlot stage in hollywood land and then there is a junior chef experience with chef goofy on select days this is the one i want to go to i've done that before it is so cute it's Uh, so fun yeah also on select dates there will be winemaker receptions dinners beverage education more seminars headwear shopping i mean it's just going to be an amazing time at disney california adventure and across the way this friday star wars rise of the resistance opens we are doing a show from there that's going to be our first video show cannot wait to do that cannot wait to uh see the attraction and experience it Plus, when you're there, you can also ride Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. You can pick up some blue milk. You can Mm. make a lightsaber, have a cocktail at Oga's Cantina. There is a lot to do at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We're going to be doing it all. I'm doing everything this time. And hopefully all of you listening will tune in. It will be on all of D23 social channels and on D23.com. So have a look at what we experience when we are there for the opening of Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. We've literally been talking about Disney Plus since the very first episode, so it's really exciting to get to have Dan Silver, who's VP of Originals, Nonfiction, for Disney Plus here, and a friend of mine, too, so it's awesome to see you, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi, hi. So you've got a really, really interesting story at Disney. How did you get your first start here? My start at Disney was very roundabout. I actually, after graduating college, one of my first jobs was I worked for the first Tribeca Film Festival when it first started in Manhattan. And I happened to be seated next to a producer who was volunteering her time. She knew I was a big sports fan. She was going off to freelance on a show for ESPN back when they were doing game shows and things like that. And she goes, I know nothing about sports do you want to learn how to produce television? Just sort of shadow me during this casting process. It was a show called Dream Job. It was their American Idol to find the next sports center anchor. So I left Tribeca afterwards and I followed this producer on this uh, nationwide casting tour, got introduced into ESPN and produced all the seasons of Dream Job. And that led to me meeting now head of content at ESPN, Connor Schell, who was just starting the film group at uh, ESPN Films, and he brought me in to start the Tribeca ESPN Sports Film Festival, and then ESPN Films and 30 for 30. That's a really truncated no way deal. of no how, I into, yeah. uh, how I got into how I got into Disney. 
Yeah, wow. you've had a chance to work with some of our biggest brands. You just mentioned some of them, ESPN, ABC, Marvel, Disney Plus now. Can you talk about that journey through all of those? It became pretty clear to me that after I came in at ESPN, what the company offered me as a huge geek, I have Kermit tattooed on my right arm, <laughs> and uh, I love everything about this company. I'm a huge fan of everything. But when you get here and you're doing something like 30 for 30, which are films and very different than what the core business of ESPN is, you get to really talk to a lot of the other businesses within the Walt Disney Company. So I'm meeting people at Lucas, I'm meeting people at Marvel, I'm meeting people at Pixar. This is a dream come true for me. I'm just making little documentaries at ESPN Films. But what it really opened my eyes to was not only did this company help me start a family, I was married to my wife before I started, but I had my first kid at ESPN Films. Why would you ever leave when you have all of these things in front of you? And after Grantland launched and we started doing uh, 30 for 30 shorts, I was put on this mini road show of like, how do you do short form content on the internet that is of high quality? We won, and you can fact check me, I believe ESPN's first like non-sports Emmy, like a primetime Emmy with 30 for 30 shorts. So it was like Pixar wanted to know how to do it because they obviously know how to do shorts, but how do we blow them out? Lucas wanted to know, Marvel wanted to know. So I met a lot of the businesses and that's when I realized, why would I go anywhere? Yeah. This company has so many different opportunities for me. Not only do I get to maybe work for some of the best brands and my favorite brands, but I can keep doing nonfiction or I can move into scripted or I can go learn to do this, that or the other thing. And ESPN was a very natural sort of progression into ABC. And it was very much about storytelling and how do we leverage the Internet to tell longer, more journalistic, story driven content. So it was a very natural progression from short films and short documentaries on the Internet into ABC. Now, of course, that coincided with like, oh, we got to do news. But that then led to Marvel and then that led to Disney+. Plus. I've never looked anywhere else. All of the opportunities have come to me through different collaborations in Disney. So I collaborated with people at ABC. That's what led to the ABC job. At ABC, we did a nonfiction comic called Medaya Mom, which was about a Syrian refugee who was texting us. And we created a comic book of her words to sort of visualize what was going on in Syria that led to a relationship with Marvel and then a move to Marvel. And while I was at Marvel, met everybody at Disney Plus, sold three shows and then moved over here to sort of work nonfiction. So it's been just a path of collaboration that has led me to the role that I'm in right now. Wow. Well, speaking of your role right now, what is your day to day like? My day to day is it's exploration. Because as a huge fan of the company, I knew the challenge I was walking into that high quality nonfiction documentary programming has not really existed truly under the Disney brand since Walt in the 60s. So what is a Disney branded documentary, much less what is a Marvel branded documentary, much less as a Lucas documentary, et cetera, et cetera. So from the time that I walked in the door, it's, well, what is that? And a lot of that is, well, breaking it down into, we'll understand what's on Disney+. Plus. We have high-quality scripted original programming. We have a, the most enticing and vast library that I would say any SVOD service could ever offer. So when you take those things, where does nonfiction fit in? So for me, it really is 
the root of what I do, be it either through variety and specials or formatted reality shows or documentaries, it's the root of what I do is I look at how does Disney and all of our subsequent brands manifest itself in the real world. What are the brand attributes? What are the emotional arenas, the criteria? What I like to say when I was at Marvel, all of the things that live around the big red box, not in the big red box, but around the big red box. And how do those things manifest themselves? And I try to find stories on a global basis that tell those either through overtly saying, okay, Marvel's going to talk about Marvel's history or finding an original idea and infusing our brands and IP into it. So a Beauty and the Beast themed encore episode or a High School Musical themed encore episode or a completely original idea that takes a little bit of the themes and feels and tones of all of our best brands and infuses it into something new like Pick of the Litter. As long as it feels like it's inherently Disney and it's representing the broadest possible Disney audience, not just who I am, because it would just be Muppets and Marvel and Star Wars if it was me, (laughs) then we're doing our job the right way. So my day-to-day is finding that content having it play symbiotic with our library content and our scripted content as a way to show people that Disney is now telling stories about them. So that is what my day-to-day is. It's it's exploration and it's guessing and checking. You've had a lot of great projects that I think a lot of Disney fans consider dreams, one of which is the Imagineering story. Can you talk about what it was like working on that project? Yes. That was as close to a perfect documentary experience as I've ever had. It was, Leslie has, had been working on this project for a long time. Her, this was a her and Bob Weiss idea from like four or five years ago. And she was shooting and she was documenting and they were just going and going and going. A two-hour doc turned into a three-hour doc, which turned into a four-hour doc. And then when I walked in the door, it was six hours. And there were these string outs. It was over six hours. And the first meeting I had on my first day was my boss, Agnes Chu, Leslie, and myself saying, we want this for launch. How are we going to do this? And it was a filmmaker's vision of what she wanted to do. And me as a documentary producer trying to hone in with her, what is the narrative? What makes this the Imagineering story and not the Disney story or the leadership story or the just ride story? What makes this the Imagineering story? And it was about pulling out a lot of stuff while then going in and adding. So pulling out a little bit of sort of the corporate history and going back in and getting Bob Gurr to go to the Matterhorn and those really human moments. I love to sort that of, part. Oh, I love that part. <laughs> that part's great. So it was really honing that in. And it was the archives. It was working with all of the people at the company that sort of touched those core brands. And it was a filmmaker really driving it. And then we, on the Disney Plus side, doing everything we could to support a vision while also understanding this was a first for our company. And that's the best part of my job. The fact that I get to tell these stories after being at this company and a fan, I've been here for 14 years now, to be able to tell the Imagineering story in a way that the Imagineers are like, we've never shown this. We've never allowed cameras here. We've never talked about some of the things that are tougher to talk about in this way. And that's a collaboration and that's an exploration. We had a really amenable filmmaker who obviously has a deep connection to this company because of her grandfather and her dad. As I'm talking about this, I keep referring to our director as Leslie, but this is Leslie Iwerks, 
her grandfather being Ub Iwerks. And for those of you who don't know that is, I mean, you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you do. <laughs> Wikipedia it and you'll understand her connection. Oh, no, go to, to D23.com. Go to D23.com. That, there you go. So she came with respect and it taught us a lot. So this was a true filmmaker pushing it forward with me and my team really working with folks like yourself, Jeffrey, and others around the company to say, what makes this different now that it's on Disney Plus? What does Disney Plus afford us to tell a more open story and to create those boundaries? And I couldn't be happier with the final product. I think I've seen it seven times. Well, I've had to do notes, but I've watched it since it's been on the platform because my wife and my kid watch it and I watch it with them. That was a very, very special project, and it sets a high bar for everything documentary-wise that we're doing moving forward. Yeah, so you probably know Jeffrey is a big fan of Encore. You mentioned watching the show with your son earlier. What is it about that show? I, I may have gone and stalked Dan many times <laughs> There's more about to, the well, show. You guys inform me on how big of a fan you are then. <laughs> Until Jeffrey voiced his love of the show, I always referred to this show as my mother's show. Aw. Well, thanks. <laughs> me, your I'll mom. call it Jeffrey's show. <laughs> well, it, it is, but... This This was one of those ideas that when you first hear it, classes coming back together after graduation to put on their high school musicals, the first thing you think is like comedy and broad, but then you start seeing the episodes. And I always look to this moment in the first episode where the real person, Annie, who played Annie in the musical, very meta, is standing at a piano singing years after graduating uh, someday. And they're cutting to her interview about what she thought she was going to do after high school. It's actually called Maybe. Maybe. Thank you. This is the second time that this has happened, actually. Thank you, Maybe. It's Jeffrey's show. Yeah. Sorry. It is. No, see? There it is. So Maybe, she's singing it at the piano, cutting to her interview about what her life turned into after high school and how much she loves it, while then cutting to the footage of her in high school singing the song. And the minute I saw that in the first episode, I was like, we have something more than a log line. We have a real show about real people and a gift that they are being given to look at their lives right now and appreciate them now and also take a chance and look at the way that high school was and maybe reinterpret it through a different lens. But deep, deep, deep down, as someone whose mother raised him on Broadway, took him every year for his birthday, got him a roundabout subscription for his birthday went to multiple both dramas and comedies and musicals. Every time I hit play, I think about my mom. Mm. So this is one of those shows that hits very, very close to home for me. And I love the fact that people like you, Jeffrey, and others are really enjoying it on their own level like that. It both brings back memories, a little bit of jealousy, because I think we all want to be on that show. And at the (laughs) same time, it's fun. Wait, what? (laughs) Maybe. What show would you do? See, I didn't do any great shows in high school. So I... It's all right. I mean, if I could do any show... Well, a show that you did. The only show I did in high school, other than one that I... A musical that I wrote was Oklahoma, and I was in the chorus, and I (laughs) was terrible. I was a terrible dancer, and I... No, so no. So what show would you want to do? I've got to say, watching them do Pippin and Godspell, those were two of my like original shows that helped me fall in love with theater. So watching them do for, those shows, Pippin for me too. And I did Godspell and Summerstock back, you know, so that wasn't high school, but I did do Godspell, and I love that show. That score, Stephen Schwartz, genius. Great. I was going to say you like Stephen Schwartz. I mean, who doesn't? There, I, I, I do agree. <laughs> what show would you do? 
The only two musicals that I was ever in that were of note was in eighth grade. I was in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Okay. And then in camp, we were always in plays, but my last year I was uh, Perchick. Oh, and Fiddler. Fiddler. And I think arguably the worst version of that song ever sang. So if I ever did it, it would probably be How to Succeed in Business. Candace? I never did theater in high school, but all my cousins did, and I was super jealous of everything they did. So they did Guys and Dolls once, and I just remembered thinking, oh, I want to do that, and it's just not my thing. So it's, Guys and Dolls. So yeah. it's interesting, <laughs> when we started first casting the show, there are certain plays that every high school does. Right. The fact that we got through a full season of Encore and didn't do Guys and Dolls is actually amazing to me. Maybe season two, if there's a season two. Knock on wood, hopefully. There you go. <laughs> One Day at Disney, since day one of this podcast, we've been talking about One Day at Disney because the first episode we recorded at Expo when it was announced. Is there a story that, aside from Candace? Well, I was <laughs> going to say, we have to talk about me walking in this room. I felt like I knew you already. Yeah. We'd never <laughs> That's so met. Cool. I know. I know, I know you now, so this well, is now perfect. We know, yeah. But yeah, I walked in, even. I, was like, I know all about your life. I knew it just from watching your short over and over yeah, again. That's great. Was there another person outside of Candace whose story? really resonated with you that you loved so for one day at disney the one that sticks out the most is tom the scuba diver just because it's not one of those stories that you would ever think about Mm -mm. but the minute you find out what this guy does diving in the jungle cruise or the nemo ride to have to clean it well of course because that's the level of detail and care that disney always has but his story of working at the park as a kid and then going off to serve and then coming back and the job that he has is to be a scuba diver back at the place that he was a teenager that's a Disney story in and of itself but the thing that you appreciate or I appreciate the most from that series is the level of care that everybody that you meet in these shorts puts into jobs that we otherwise never see it's the person who drives the train at Disneyland the person who controls BBA at Lucasfilm, the person who answers the phone at Lucasfilm, (laughs) the people who create the window dressings at all of our parks, those little nuances, those little pieces of care are really what make this company so special and why people want to go and experience it. Because even if your job is to hang the cobwebs at the Tower of Terror, I guarantee you the person that is doing it, although they are not documented in one day at Disney maybe for season two <laughs> knock on wood again I bet you that person puts the level of care and effort that we all put into our jobs it's really remarkable how much people care when they are doing something for D-I-S-N-E-Y it's really cool well we know fans are really excited about Howard the documentary yeah. about Disney legend Howard Ashman what do you think we're actually going to learn about Howard that we may not have already known There's a lot you're going to learn about him. It's a really lovely piece. Oh, and that reminds me of another musical I was in. I was the voice (laughs) of Audrey, too. So for those that don't know, Howard and uh, Alan Menken, his partner, they wrote uh, Little Shop of Horrors, too. So that's another one that I was in. Because I have such a beautiful singing voice. I think it was my talking voice that they liked. (laughs) Feed me. That's right. So with Howard, I think... More than anything, I think you're going to, again, going back to that Disney and care and love, you're really going to see the process, the creative process of someone who has created not only some of the most iconic characters and songs and moments in our in our film history, 
but you see the process in which that he and his partner Alan and the collaborators like the director Don Hahn who produced a lot of the films that Howard and Alan worked on who directed this doc how they went about putting this all together and the problem solving that went into it I never knew this until I watched the doc that Aladdin they took a pass and then it didn't work and then Aladdin was kind of shelved and then they went off and did Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin came back it's like didn't know that it just wasn't working so you really get to learn about not only what a music and lyricist does in the partnership like that but then you also get to learn about the person and how the person infused their own likes dislike life experiences into their work that then came out in some of the most iconic ways. You're going to recontextualize a lot of your favorite songs. You're going to see it through a human's perspective. So next time you watch Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid or Aladdin, there's going to be a different level of appreciation that when you see it, because you're really going to know the person that put these together. It's a really beautiful piece done with a lot of care by clearly someone who is very close to him. And what's actually cool is Alan Menken does the music. Wow. Oh, wow. So it's a great piece. It's hard not to tear up at the end. It's really lovely. Oscar winner Morgan Neville working on the Mickey Mouse documentary, another film which I know Disney fans, and I think anyone in general is going to be excited to watch. What can you tell us about that as it's in progress? Sure. Number one, thanks to you guys, you have been a huge collaborator on this one. For those of you out there listening... Yes, there is a nonfiction group at Disney Plus, but when we do things like the Imagineering Story and things like Mickey, it really is a group effort. We don't do these things in a silo. So Jeffrey and others have been incredibly collaborative with us on the creative side to formulate this sandbox that Morgan and the director, Jeff Malmberg, can play in. What I love that I'm seeing out of the Mickey Mouse documentary, there's a little bit of that Imagineering sense to it, which is you're seeing a recontextualization through the prism of people, of this iconic character. The way that Jeff has always described this is there's Mickey for Mickey, and then there's Mickey for me, and then there's Mickey for you. And that's really what this is. They are trying to do Mickey in the broadest sense of the term. Mickey's not a term, he's an icon. (laughs) But it's like, yes, this is a character, But this character has meant so much to so many people in so many different ways and has had so many lives that how do you boil that down and make it personal? So I think people are going to be very surprised by how personal the doc is. It's not a director's journey, but I bet you you will see something you're like, that's what Mickey is to me. As I'm seeing early sort of dailies and reports, that's what Mickey is to me. The other part of it, which I'm most excited about and I believe I can say this here. It's Circle of Trust. Circle of Trust. (laughs) Walt Disney Animation Studios has been an incredible partner. And uh, you may see some new animation. Ooh, very exciting. So there might be some new animation in there and uh, some fun animation in a way that uh, makes for a documentary. So we're very excited about that. Awesome. We are, too. You keep saying the term nonfiction. I feel like when people hear that, they think documentary. But you're also overseeing the unscripted comedy we were talking about earlier, Earth to Ned. Can you give us an update on that? Because we mentioned it uh, back in the fall, and it looks hilarious. It's so fun. Ned is a talk show. But as Brian Henson, the legendary puppeteer and filmmaker Brian Henson puts it, it's a talk show in a spaceship that happens to have an Ikea couch, <laughs> and, uh, which I think is always very funny. The concept, very simply, is Ned 
and his sidekick or Lieutenant Cornelius were sent to Earth to destroy us. And they crash landed. And the only things that really worked on their ship were a teleportation device and the Internet. And so they started watching the Internet and they became obsessed with celebrity culture and talk shows. So Ned ordered an Ikea couch to X amount under miles under the ground, set it up and started beaming in celebrities to (laughs) chat with them about being a human in the most awkward of circumstances. People have been beamed in while they're brushing their teeth. Some people have been beamed in as they're about to walk a red carpet, and each episode is themed so sports, social media, 80s. We have a Star Wars-themed episode, which is really fun. Um, I don't think it made it into the final cut, but one of my favorite conversations about the Star Wars episode originally was the perspective that Ned was going to take on why are the aliens bad guys. Hmm. I mean, we're not bad guys. Yeah. So why, why do the aliens need to be bad guys? So... Well, to be fair, he was sent to destroy the Earth. He was, and but he, he hasn't, and he won't. He really likes celebrity culture. That would really cut the show short. It really would. <laughs> it really would. He always threatens it, but uh, it never happens. So the guests are fantastic. Just having them sit in front of a six-foot blue four-armed alien <laughs> who is asking them questions. It is a true unscripted show. It is a talk show. So when the guests sit down, it is an interview. They're just being interviewed by Ned and his forearms, and he's six feet and looking netty. And then off to their right is Cornelius, who looks like a bug-eyed slug. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. I know. I know. This is so my alley. There are some guests that you could say when they get beamed in, there's a little hesitation. They're like, how is this going to go? And then it just goes. And they just settle in, and Betty, the AI of the ship, chimes in and says something sarcastic and the little clods that are these little slug-like furry creatures who run the camera and do the microphones and do all of that. (laughs) They they hang out and it is exactly what I would describe to my son as the way that I felt when I watched The Muppet Show for the first time. Which is, it's something that I as a 40-year-old dad am going to love. And I know that my 10-year-old son and my 5-year-old daughter are also going to love. And they're going to love it for a very different reason <laughs> than I'm going to love it. So you've been talking a lot about your kids, who, for whom you were making many great Disney memories. We end every interview asking what our guest's favorite Disney memory is. I have so many. We're a big Disney family. And I remember our first trip as a family, which was about two years ago. But now that we live in California, we've gone so many times. I would say it's individualized. So can I give you three quick ones? <laughs> okay. Because I <laughs> yeah. think about it as me and my wife together before the kids. When we went down, it was our first vacation ever. I had just started at the company, so it was the first time that I used my pass. We Aww. stayed at the All-Star Sports, and we took the bus everywhere. And it was literally just these two, because I got married very young. I was married when I was 26, and my wife was 24. So it was these late 20 kids just going around Disney World. Yeah. on the bus it's just this memory that we both have together that we still think about we're like do you remember when we did this without the kids so that's the one of me and my wife just sort of going around disney in our 20s my son's first trip well i guess i'll combine this one my son's first trip to disneyland he was four we look back at the photos and every photo is his mouth wide open Aww. with the biggest smile on his face. Like, I can't believe I'm with Mickey. I can't believe I'm with Donald. I can't believe I'm with Lightning McQueen. 
you just look at every photo and it's just imagine Macaulay Culkin in the mirror <laughs> in Home Alone. That's what his face is like. And the reason why I call that both is that my wife was pregnant with my daughter at the time. Aww. And we hadn't told anybody, so she couldn't Aww. go on any rides. So Sam, my daughter, was there at the same time. But How special. She, she wasn't really there. But our first trip here after we moved here was for her birthday. Oh. So she got to turn five at Disneyland. Oh, that's I so that. great. I, I we have so many stories. Everything I mean, our shower curtain is Mickey. My brother <laughs> is a tattoo artist. That's how I got the Kermit tattoo. My wife and I uh, my brother in law, excuse me. My wife and I are already talking about what Disney tattoos we're gonna get. We're like, we're insane Disney people. <laughs> Woohoo. It's the only thing my wife wanted for uh, her holiday present was a purse she saw in New Orleans, of course. In <laughs> New Orleans Square. New Orleans Square in <laughs> Disneyland. So it was like we had to go. It was an interesting trip because we went to go buy the purse, and my son, who was about to get braces, wanted a candy apple. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. So it was like, you had to, of course, the only place you could go was Disneyland. Yeah. That's, well, thank you so much. Thank you guys. So good. Anytime. This, you guys are great. I'm just going to hit you up for some secrets about some things later. I don't think Jeffrey's going to let me tell you. <laughs> nope. Over my. He's glaring uh, at me right now. More Ned. <laughs> More, more net. I can't wait for it. Well, so for everyone who wants to see all the great shows we talked about, you can tune into Disney Plus now and in the coming months to catch yeah. all of the exciting things. We're not we going just, anywhere. No. Yay. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And of course, for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside, Inside Disney. Disney.